0: and teachers specifically have to stop working under the idea that we know what's best for students.
1: What is up everyone? Welcome to Education Policy Weekly. I'm your host, John Phillips. Today is July 29th, 2020, and I am excited to be joined for the second straight week by Shanae Bond, who is a literacy teacher at a school in Texas. And today is part two of my conversation with her, where we're going to focus more on racial justice in schools, while also still, of course, hitting on the pandemic and the reopening crisis. In addition to this podcast, I am so excited to kick off my new newsletter called Five by Five where I deliver five things to read, write, hear, see, and do, right to your inbox. Each post will be centered around a particular topic. For the newsletter I just released, I looked at sports from all sorts of different angles. You can find the link to subscribe in the description box for this episode or on my Twitter, at By John I look forward to you joining the community. The media we consume defines us, so let's choose wisely. Before today's interview with Shanae, let's talk briefly about what is currently going on in the world of education policy. The big story in education this week is reopenings, still. While many districts across the country have made moves to begin the year with school buildings closed, teacher unions are gearing up for potential battles with districts who forced teachers back into the classroom without adequate safety measures and supports in place. Randy Weingarten, head of the American Federation of Teachers, said earlier this week that the AFT would leave it up to local unions on whether or not they strike heading into the fall. Meanwhile, as Congress works to pass another stimulus package, the GOP is pushing to make two-thirds of the $70 billion that is allocated in the bill for schools to work on making their school buildings ready to get students back inside of the classroom, rather than allowing local districts and states to make those determinations for where the dollars go themselves. The Congress has a recess in August starting on August 7th, so they need to get something passed by then, and as the debate rages on reopening, it'll be interesting to see whether that is an area where Democrats push back on the GOP's bill. That's it for the news. Before we dive into the second part of my discussion with Shanae, please make sure you are subscribed to the show on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you already subscribe and you love the show, please feel free to give it a five-star review on iTunes. Without further ado, my conversation with Shanae. What have you What have you seen, and 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 how do you think about this moment, and? how do you think this next year and these next few years are going to shake out as it comes to, you know, racial justice in schools?
0: I am a super skeptical person. I am admittedly not extremely well-versed in, um, a lot of the the theory surrounding um critical race theory specifically in education this is just my six-year teaching and it wasn't until the last two or three years that i started kind of studying what what it looked like to be um to teach black and brown students um and to teach students who who look like me and then to kind of undo the the own the the white supremacy that I was reinforcing in my own classroom. Um, So for me, it has been a journey of accepting that I too am am complicit and then researching and reaching out to people who are experts. And I think that 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 step, that first step that you mentioned, where I am involved in the system, I'm involved in, in, in perpetuating the system, is something that I am not—I haven't seen a whole lot of—and and and I say that again as a as a black woman, as a black woman educator, as a black woman student. I as a as a black mom, as a black mom, to a a black girl. Um, if we are not extremely and acutely aware of the ways that the things that we do in our classrooms. The things that we do in our own day to day, of how those things impact our our own our own people, our own children, our own students. If we can't take stock of those things, then then the movement is not uh, is not really a movement. It's kind of stagnant, and I've seen that a lot with a lot of the people uh, in my in my immediate. Circle a lot of people who were super excited, and then when the conversation turned inward, it was a lot of resistance and how the 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 things that seemed like just following the rules or the the things that seemed like just you know basic everyday school policies uh, are actually extremely harmful and are actually extremely racist and are actually really really stopping Black students from being able to excel in the school environment. This summer, I have read, I'm on my second reread of Dr. Bettina Love's We Want to Do More Than Survive, and it has just Mm -hmm. been all awakening, and I think that everyone should read it. In it, she talks about uh, spirit murdering of, of Black students, and as someone who has been on the receiving end of that, it was just like this moment where I was, shook because I remember sitting in a class and feeling like my teacher was telling me that despite being black, I was excellent. And despite being black, I spoke well. And despite being black, I was an excellent student. And then perpetuating that in my classroom for my, for, for black students who were, who I'd been tasked with educating. And, um, Going through that internal work of saying, "Hey, Shanae, you are a part of this long line of people who have done this thing," was kind. Of, it, I mean, it, it wrecked me. It was it was a devastating realization that even as this person who, you know, believes with all of my being that Black lives matter. That I too was a part of the, this system. Um, it was it was devastating, but it was also a moment where I was able to kind of look at that particular incident and that particular those particular incidents, and then these bigger systematic things of I have I have you know black women, and I was also reading. Um, I've been also I also read Pushouts this summer and it's so amazing um, how we even the conversations that we have about black girls in school, um, they are just criminalized and demoralized by the nature of our school system. We are the, we are the school, the prison pipeline, you know, we are a part of those things. The second that that happens is when we can actually start making those those changes. But the fact that reflection is not happening, that internal work isn't happening. That's what makes me really skeptical because it is, it's so hard and especially for people who are liberal, these institutions are built the way that they are for a reason. And they are, that, that becoming a teacher and going through teacher education programs and, you know, teaching like a champion, all of these things are set up to um, control and to perpetuate systems. All of these things are, are set up to, to do the very thing that, you know, we're all claiming to hate. But the reality is, is that we are all a part of the system. And so unless you are actively working every day to, to examine your own uh, practices to examine your own um, ways of approaching um, the world and ways of approaching uh, anti-racist work and, and and ways of approaching the people in your life who are not white and who are not um, privileged, then you are you're still a part of the problem. If you're not actively working and actively examining who you are. I just I don't see a lot of progress being made from what happened if we're not willing to if we're constantly willing to examine everything that's happening on the outside and not internally.
1: It's crazy how hard it seems to be for certain teachers to recognize that their own classrooms can traumatize because i've heard a lot of teachers over the last few over the last few months who are shocked when they think about uniform or when they think about uniform or when they think about any other policies that they enforce in their classrooms or their book lists or any of these mm-hmm. things that are so so problematic. And yet they, they, when they're reflecting that they think about someone other than them, they think about that teacher down the hall, or they Mm -hmm. think about their principal or that teacher that thinking back to high school. And it's just, it's crazy to think about that and not be skeptical. Like you said, because like I reflect every single day, like that's what makes me a good teacher. And I I seek out feedback. I want my kids to say, that was a bad lesson. Tell me. I want to know, right? So that I I can make sure that I'm the best teacher for you tomorrow. And it just makes you realize that so many of the policies that we have are in place solely because teachers have been unwilling to engage in that reflection piece. And instead, we implement so many policies that are predicated on control, That make it so they don't need to reflect, and I, you know, it seems like one of those situations where I, like, I just don't know how to square that circle. You know, like I can't drag you to reflect if you don't want to.
0: Yes.
1: And 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 so it's go ahead. No, I just
0: that's kind of I mean, and I've seen so many just discussing this with with Black women specifically. Um, we we kind of often get asked, hey, you know, what can I do? What can I what can I be reading? What can I be watching? And then the first thing that so many of us ask is, well, what are you what are you doing? And people are often like, oh no, I just I you know I want this easy answer. And it's and that's kind of that's when the pushback happens. Of I'm not oh I don't I, I that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. And then it's just like well I can't you know I can't help you i just I can't help you if you're not willing to say this is how I am being this is how I am engaging in racist principles, this is how I am engaging in racist policies, it's just not you can't reading isn't going you can't read your way out of, of racism
1: on book club right because you know no no matter you know it, it, not to mention the audacity to. Seek out help that you think that you're entitled to from black women educators, right? Which happened all the time for months and is still happening. And then to not only to be audacious enough to do that, but then when the help makes you uncomfortable, then to like lash out. And so like it. some of it comes back to just like, there are some professions where, yeah, you can get away with not reflecting and not be super harmful every single day. But like, I just think like I'm working with students every single day. How can I not be reflecting? You know, like think, imagine a parent that isn't reflecting on how they're taking care of their kid or think about a doctor that isn't reflecting on how a surgery went. It just doesn't jive. And so while while I know there are so many educators out here who are doing the work, I I don't know what the pathway forward is because for for certain schools and, and and certain classrooms because you know maybe maybe you get lucky to be at a school where your administrator gets it, right? Which is a lovely thing when that happens. Where I'm worried is not only the the teachers who go through the cycle that you just described, but also the administrators who are doing that cycle but also are going to lead an entire school through a week of PD around these issues when they themselves don't get it, you know? And so, you know, I, I think a lot about the schools where there are, there are no, you know, black educators, period. Like I, my high school, like where where I went to high school, there's been a lot of conversation around the, racism that occurred at that school, small school um in Philadelphia and you know I look now and they of a staff of 50 people in the building only 3 of them are black. And so like what do you think is going to happen when you only hire white people into your walls? Like what what do you expect, right? And what's even sadder is a lot of the discussion that's happened has talked about has focused on the the black women not doing enough for the the students and it's like no no no, hold on like before we point the finger at people who aren't in quotes not doing enough how about we hold the the principal who has disproportionately hired White educators into the building who has disproportionately brought in white students and created a space. You know, sometimes it's so easy to not hold white people accountable. You know, it's so easy for us to just like sneak out and, and deflect and point the finger. And that stuff is pretty en- enraging. And, you know, now that we've spent a good amount of time talking about how maddening it is. <laughs> Um, I, 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 suppose we need to think about, you know, uh, steps forward. And so I'll, I'll ask you this question and, you know, if, if it's not something that you, you think should give us hope, then feel free to say that. Cause I understand, but you know, what is our best case scenario for the next few years you know, and, and how do we get there? Like, if you think about where we are as a system of, you know, educators in this country in five years, what what do you think is our best case scenario when it comes to racial justice, equity and anti-racist work in schools?
0: I think that our best case scenario for five years. Oh, wow. That's such a big that's such a big ask. I think that in this moment where we have to reimagine schools anyway, we if we can take this time and really think about the purpose of schools and the function of schools and what we're supposed to be what students are supposed to be deriving from schools and and we make that the focus of our work going forward. Our not only our curriculum, right? But our our actual physical school buildings. I, I was kind of dreaming on Twitter about what it would look like if schools were a community space in the middle of a pandemic. And there were several people who corrected me and they were like, No, this is a terrible idea because there's a there's a there's a pandemic happening and it's and it's and it's really like it's really transmissible. But what happens once once there is a vaccine or if we're we're no longer in a pandemic and I was like, oh, that would be amazing. It would be amazing if schools stopped being four walls to keep people in or out and started being this space where families of students, students, teachers, administrators start engaging with each other in a way that actually uplifts and um, encourages and propels each other forward. I think that schools and teachers specifically have to stop working under the idea that we know what's best for students. There's a lot of that savior narrative in teaching. We have to stop working like we're on an island. We have to stop acting like we are the only good things in, in students' lives because that's just not true. It's, it's, it's often times, it's just like, it's just a, it's a narrative that's perpetuated again by these like m- media moments that to make teachers uh, believe that they are somehow saving uh, students when the reality is is that we are one tiny piece of, of a student's entire life. And our job needs to be ensuring that that piece um, is, is impactful toward teaching them how to be their best selves. And if we are all working toward that goal, then I think that then education is really serving its purpose. And I also think that in terms of racial justice, we have to acknowledge that school as it is is a racist manifestation of it's not um, a fair and equitable situation where students have to sit in desks for the majority of their day. It's not uh, just that, you know, a student who happens to be extremely talkative or a student who has a loud voice is deemed a distraction. You know, the ways in which we police students' bodies is... Is, is not it's not it's not equitable. It's inherently um, meant to favor and and produce a certain type of person. And we need to start dismantling those things and we can start by looking at, you know our rules. What is the purpose of saying that a student cannot wear a hoodie to school, right? Um, I've read some, some neuroscience about how sometimes when they're tightening their hoodies, they're doing so as like a comfort measure. It's just these dualities that I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. So we need to really start examining why are we doing these things? And if there are ways that we can really, really look at the needs of students and their families, You know, really making sure that parents are a part of our process and communities are a part of our process. I am not particularly a religious person, but I know so many of my students who go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, and that is an important part of who they are. And if I don't know that, then I'm missing a huge segment of their lives. You know, if I'm assigning homework every, every Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night, then I am missing a huge, I'm, I'm, I'm putting them at a disadvantage. There's, there's just these huge gaping holes in our knowledge about who our kids are and who our communities are. And tearing down the assumptions that we have about our, our students and their lives and their livelihoods and, and where we fit into those things, and then teachers being whole people and, and understanding that our jobs our jobs (laughs) and I'm super guilty I just went on a rant about how I've been working all summer um I I you know I I need to take a step back and, and chill out and I do what I do because I want my students to be great and I do what I do because I know that so many teachers around the country are not thinking about um you know, equity and racial justice, but I also need to realize that I'm not the only teacher who's doing that. And so it's super hypocritical for me to be like, we need to stop being saviors, but I'm going to save, you know, the entirety of, you know, the student population. So just like kind of in checking ourselves and finally, and, and most, not most importantly, because like valuing student and community identity is most important, but, uh, Our focus on high-stakes standardized testing is just so absurd. And uh, Dr. Bettina Love, in a uh, panel that she did uh, recently that you can find at um, Abolitionist Teaching Network, the, the website, Abolitionist Teaching Network, Said all of a sudden we were forced into the situation where we didn't have to have set school times. We didn't have to have standardized testing and we were okay. Like everybody survived. Nobody, nobody, like, nobody, like, nothing bad happened when standardized testing didn't happen. So why is it, why, what are we doing? What are we doing? we keep doing these things uh, based upon they've always been done. We keep doing these things because they're benefiting rich white people. We keep doing things because there are, because like legislators who've never been in a classroom are telling us that we need to, it's time for for us to kind of make the connections between school buildings and our communities and like talk to each other. And I think that that strengthening that those connections means that our voice is amplified and I've never heard a parent say, oh, my God, I love standardized testing. It's so amazing. Like, I'm so glad that my kid, you know, has to take three or four standardized tests. It's the best thing that I've I've never heard that. And there are more parents and there are more teachers than there are legislators. And if we make the collective decision that we no longer like this and we don't want it to represent our schools, we don't want to, want to be graded on an A to F based upon our children's ability to like sit down in a room and take these tests. Then, like maybe building that relationship means that we have the the, the power to change that. And so, I think that we've done we as schools uh, have done ourselves a disservice by isolating ourselves with, like within our communities. And I think that reimagining that relationship means that we we have given ourselves and our parents and our community members the power to say, hey, we can change these things. And if we ever want to be racially just or have racially just communities, we have to look at look to our communities to take that lead and to tell us where to go. Because uh, like you said, if we have like the, the majority of our teachers are white and our, our admin staff is all white and, you know, we ha- we're we educating these black and brown children or even these this majority white, you know, population, then how are we going to, like, what's, how are we going to know unless we're taking cues from people who are, are living through this and actually experiencing it? So I think that we have this opportunity to build this community between our, our people and our schools and to uh, humanize them and to make them actually, like, matter um, outside of, you know, here is where you go for this amount of time a day.
1: That was I, I threw you a curveball, and I think that you gave a an incredible, incredible answer to that. And the the point that I the 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 beauty of your answer is you name a, a hypocrisy that that all teachers exist in when it comes to how much we work. But the the irony I think is if we acted in the service of students and in the service of communities, right? And we built schools to help support the communities of which they are a part. The the beautiful and magical thing is, I don't think we would be working as hard because our a lot of our actions would be have already been predetermined by the community and there would be inherent community and student buy-in to the work that we were doing. Whereas right now, when you operate in isolation, what do you think is going to happen? We're
0: recreating the wheel like a million times and it's not working.
1: Create, creating the, we, recreating the wheel a million times at schools all across the country. And we expect that, that that's going to work instead of just asking your communities yeah. what they want. I appreciate you taking that question head on and joining me for what was a really incredible conversation. Thank you so, so much. And I am sure that people that listen to this will walk away wiser because of it. So thank you.
0: Thank you for having me. This was great.
1: Thank you so much to Shanae for joining me on the podcast the last two weeks. If you didn't listen to the first part of my conversation with her go back and check that out overall it was a really really great conversation i'm so thankful that she joined me next week i'm super excited to have dr erica rivera on to talk about leadership in this trying moment for the country if you enjoyed this episode please make sure that you have subscribed on whatever podcast app you use you leave a five-star review on iTunes and that you share this episode wherever you can. Until next time, class dismissed.